I guess I make it difficult by kind of not counting on a regular rhythm or cadence with those yeah i like to keep on your toes which makes it more difficult for me later when i'm editing those podcasts because a bit of a musical ass bitch so i need that rhythm yeah what would be the like ideal would i faster slower one two three four no 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 no. like three two one clap Mm, get a count that out i can count that out hold on three two two one one clap about 89 bpm okay Uh, yeah my built-in BPM detector will get that next time. Dude, that's why I'm saying switch to Reaper. You could have a metronome playing while you're recording your podcast. That's crazy. I've been trying to tell you to switch to Reaper. It Do you have it going right shit. now? Uh, Hold on. Do you have the natural now I do. Uh, rhythm and cadence of your speaking patterns going? Hold on. That's why your, yeah, your takes and opinions are often so melodic. Rhythm. 89 BPM. There you go. Okay, I'm gonna turn this. I'm gonna turn that off because you're gonna auto tune that, turn it into a little hip hop beat. No, I don't think I have anything. Oh, you know what? I do have, I do have a plugin that is for like pitch correction. It's not auto tune, but I could. Oh, pitch my voice a little different. I could do all kinds of crazy shit. Audacity for nothing. Weaklings, dude. Tell you what I could do. I can barely ship this fucking thing out. You gotta get the Reaper. You gotta get Reaper. <laughs> Here's the thing that people at home don't know. Tell them, bro. I, I, Reaper? I hardly know her. Okay, Audacity a few years ago they were calling out because they were like selling mad data to people. It's like, it was bad. Is that true? I think they were selling it to like uh, Big Russia or some shit. And Reaper, it's just like, Reaper I think was founded by the dude who runs Yahoo, or founded Yahoo. And he's like, I'm rich as shit, I'm gonna make the greatest recording software of all time, and it's free. Are they an unproblematic uh, company, Yahoo? I don't know, but Reaper is. Okay. Again, again, I hardly know her. Anyway, this this podcast sponsored by Reaper. I there you go. What's up, nerds? Welcome back to Region Free. Uh, been a while since it's since been we recorded. A while. Oh, that's right. We were talking about fucking Temple of the Dog. Did earlier, I ever but... tell you about the time I met Aaron Lewis's roadies and they? You did. You told me the story in depth. It's a really good story, though. Maybe just tell it again. Okay, so when I was 19, the band I was in, we went on this tour, and we were staying at this hotel, and there was a huge-ass tour bus out there, and for uh, five dudes that were touring in a two-door Ford Escape, can't recommend that, uh, <laughs> we were like, what the fuck? So we went, and we knocked, and we're like, yo, who are y'all? And they're like, oh, we're the roadies for Aaron Lewis's country side project, and I was like, god, that's like seven degrees of cool separation, <laughs> um, and we, but we hung out with them, and they were really sick. And they're like, oh, you know, on our tour bus, we got Jaeger on tap. And I'm like, 19, you say Jaeger. Which is an insane It's an insane concept. sentence. Yeah. It's an insane sentence. And I'm like, 19, so I'm like, oh, shit. So they're like, They got the goods. They were like, yo, just come on and hang out with us. Like, And I, I'm going to say it was not weird that they offered to drink with children because of the next thing that happened. Mm-hmm. They were like, y'all are all 21, right? And for some reason. I li- I didn't lie. I told the yeah. truth as if these dudes were going to be like, all right, let me see some ID. I was like, oh, <laughs> no, we're all underage. And my entire band was like, why would you do why that? Why you ratted out everybody. We could have hung out on it. I've still never been on a tour bus. And I turned down the one opportunity I've been given in life to get blackout drunk with two roadies from Aaron Lewis's Countryside Project on a, on a bus. Did they have... Did they did they have like a Dr Pepper tap to mix? No, with they didn't. The we Jager? didn't even go on. We didn't even go on the bus. 
That's crazy. Yeah, it was they were just up. offering you to do straight, straight Jaeger. I could have probably done all kinds of crazy shit that night that just evaporated because I chose to not lie. Could have been a worse story though if they, you know, it's got a, it's got a sad ending now, but it could have had a much worse ending if you went and partied with them and then they did ask for ID eventually and was like, boo. <laughs> Yeah, but, like, they're fraternizing with Aaron Lewis. It's not like he's a good dude. I forget what he did. He's, like, he's just one of those, like, MAGA chuds. Oh, that's cool. Okay, Let me well, fact well, check that just in case. I don't want it to come out that he's, like, Guy Fieri level, so, like, totally cool and nice. Totally cool and chill. Well, well. speaking of, of times Blake Hester was on tour, Mr. International he's World Traveler not, here. He's super not cool. Super though. not canceled? No, oh, it's super, super not, not cool. cool. No. Oh boy, um, you you were you were over in the glorious island nation of Japan, Nihon, for a while. Yeah, I met and, shows uh, in Fukui. I was gonna say, well, well, you know, way to just blow the fucking <laughs> lid off of that story. But you know, a man that we've covered on this podcast, yeah. I feel like we should talk about that experience. Um, in case you haven't noticed, no idea what this episode is going to be called when it hits your podcast feed. But mm. we're not covering a single movie here today. We're here to like. Uh, just do a vibe check uh and yeah sometimes aj and me like we are friends we just like hanging out yeah so we're gonna talk about blake's trip to japan meeting shows in fukui um cool blu-rays movies dvds vhs tapes that he bought recently uh and then just like movies that we watched um and then we're gonna preview kind of the next uh the next plan for for what we're covering next month on the show which is gonna be good stuff I think so. Yeah, it's great stuff. Okay, so you want to hear about me and uh, Fukui? <laughs> yes, because on that episode, so obviously this is the director of 964 Pinocchio, uh, Rubber's Lover, other great films like that. Um, we did an extensive episode with Jason Daphnis about 964 Pinocchio, um, and you brought up that he owns a bar in Japan where he's got, yep. I mean, well, you were there, so I won't yeah, <laughs> cut yeah, in yeah. the details of your story. He runs a bar, though, the, the, uh, and for listeners who may not know, I don't drink. I super don't drink, actually. Like, I, I'm, I'm in recovery. But, so I was I was there on assignment for Game Informer. Among other cooler things, we were doing an Armored Core cover story. Um, but we have a bunch of other stories coming out of that I'm really excited about. But, like, we were lucky to get eight days there. So we had a lot of free time. So this was... Hands down, the coolest thing that happened the whole trip was when we went to this bar. Uh, Alex, who is our video editor, was traveling with us. And I was like, Alex. And Alex does drink, but very, very rarely. Like, mm. I can count on, like, one hand the times I've seen him have a drink. Um, so I was like, Alex, bro, you have to do me a solid tonight. You have to drink. And he was like, <laughs> he's like, all right, fucking whatever. I am so jet lagged. I am so tired. I've never heard of this. Was this that... was this night one? Like you land in Japan, going straight no, to? No, no, I think it was. What's pretty the bar deep. called? Uh, TV Bar Kamudi. Um, I think it was pretty deep into the trip. Um, hmm. But Alex was like, all right, whatever. I'll I'll go get a beer. So we go to this place, and it's in. It, this actually was really cool. Uh, I, I don't remember I don't know if I've talked about this on the show before, but like my favorite place in Japan is a small little part of Tokyo called Higashi Nakano, which if people have gone to Tokyo, they might have gone to Nakano, not Nagano, which is a different city. Nakano, a part of Tokyo where Nakano mm. Broadway is, which is like a famous mall. 
It's kind of like a just like a nerd mall. Honestly, it's pretty. I think sick. I've been there. It's been almost ten years since I was yeah. in Japan. Nakano Broadway, sick. Uh, oh it, yeah. Yeah. Very cool place. So the train stop, well, depending on which way you're going, the train stop either before or after is Higashi Nakano, which I had uh, discovered through being a fan of the the clothing brand Hardcore Chocolate. And it's just like this really old style, like not well, not super old style, like I would say like 60s, 70s uh, style of neighborhood, kind of quaint, very quiet. But also a little artsy, a little rough around the edges. So his bar is in that neighborhood. It's actually right around the corner from Higashi Nakano. Uh, we went, and it's one of those like bars in Japan that only seats like I would say at most five people. Like it is tiny, tiny, tiny. Um, I have no clue how these bars can exist in Tokyo, and they don't just get priced out the moment <laughs> they open up. It's crazy. Um, but we went, and we were the only people there, which was sick. So like. He, uh, the whole thing, if you follow the bar on Twitter, you'll see him posting about what movies he's going to be playing that night and um, what music he's going to be playing. I don't remember what music we were listening to. We were watching a, we were watching a movie that starred the guy from, he's in Leon the Professional and I think Hard Candy in Onimusha 3. Oh boy. Who is that? You, the French you, guy. Yeah, you know I don't like that movie, so that's the... Yeah, well, do you like Onimusha 3? I can't. I've never played an Onimusha. Uh, hard Candy. Jean Reno. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess he's not in Hard Candy. What is that? It doesn't matter. Anyway, um, we were watching something with that. So like, we were just in there, and I was a little nervous because like, I really like his movies, and also I don't speak the language, and I was like, I want to at least say something, but, it, um, but I was wearing conveniently enough. I I found a cheat code in Japan. Um, I had bought a shirt from Hardcore Chocolate that was a Battles Without Honor and Humanity shirt. And every interview, I, I AJ, I'm telling you, every interview I did that week with Japanese dudes over the age of, I would say, 35. That's a cool shirt. They would bring up the shirt, and it was the icebreaker every time. Because that movie's <laughs> just so big over there that like we, we did some stuff with, um, with Enhance, the Humanity team. And oh, a yeah. lot of the Japanese dudes we interviewed were a bit older um and it was like the quickest first question ever what they would be like <laughs> oh sure and we'd start talking about it so i went in there and um i don't know if it's his wife that he works with i i think it is but i heard her pointing at my shirt and saying the movie name and i was like oh yeah yeah yeah, love that movie except in like the japanese of like the dumbest two-year-old ever like ega sugoi um, <laughs> but then i was like well this is the perfect opportunity movies have been brought up and I like through stumbled through being like, but I'm a big fan of Fukui-san here. Uh, and he was like, what? <laughs> like he, he got up. He's like, huh? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I, ne- I never made a movie. <laughs> but he got up and he was like, I-, I know I'm not the only person to ever go in there that likes his movies, you know? Like, mm-hmm. that, But I think it's pretty rare when it dawned on him like, I was from Minneapolis, which weirdly enough, he knew what was. Um, and like, I sought out his bar on my own time, like on a work trip to come meet him. Yeah. And it was so sick. Like his wife freaked out. Like she was so stoked <laughs> and he was so stoked. They didn't really speak any English. And like I said, like I speak the Japanese of like literally a, a dumb toddler. And so after a while, we just started Google translating back and forth 
on That's our phones cool. and like having a conversation that way. And they were like asking all about our trip and like what we do. And like, we were talking about like movies and shit. It didn't last very long. It was like 20, 30 minutes. Um, but like he got out and we took pictures together. I posted them on Twitter. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, it oh, made... I'm going to make that. I'm oh. going to make that the episode art. Oh, word, word, word. I'm going to go grab um, that. It was one of those things where it was like, it made my entire week. And like, I don't want to overstate it, but it just seemed like it made their night too. Like <laughs> everyone was just so hyped up that like we were hanging out, you know? Um, it was it was really cool. It was a really surreal experience. Just being like, dude, what's up? <laughs> like I'm, yeah. I'm rolling in. This dumb white man is rolling in to talk about this dude's freaky movies I love. Um, and I really wish like, you know, it's just one of those things that happens. Like, obviously I didn't have a translator with me cause I was not there on a work assignment and I don't talk enough, but there's like so many questions. I wish I could have asked them like, yo, who is that girl? in Gar- Gar- <laughs> Like, who is that? Where is who she? Who is the girl in 964 Pinocchio? Like, where did you film all of these things? Like, what is up with the puke brother? You gotta let me know what's going on with you and Vom. Um, it just didn't work out that way because we don't 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 speak the language. But uh, it was a cool moment of like technology got us through what we needed. That's amazing. To do, just to be like able to talk to each other. Um, uh, I it's really I sick. recommend people follow this Twitter account because in addition to the movies that they're uh, showing, they also just tweet out like the music that's playing. Yeah. Um, and it seems like they were on a big audio slave Soundgarden kick recently. Hell yeah, dude! Seeing a little Slipknot on here. Chris Cornell, oh. Temple of the Dog. Manuel Goshing, one of my favorite records of all time. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you went and the dude was there and was cool and chill because he seems like a totally awesome it, guy. It was sick. Yeah, totally, totally sick dude. Friend of the show now. <laughs> 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 uh, I, I remember when I remember when I asked you if you wanted to uh, take my Blu-ray copy of Nine Six Four Pinocchio and have him sign it. Oh yeah, that would have he would have been like less cool. I bet. I guess I should have done that. Dang. asking people ask no no i i don't hold that against you ask people to sign things in like real life conditions i think that's true we, have you ever signed anything Blakehester? has anyone ever been like Blakehester? yeah 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 what, yeah. what um, was it a few things they were all like band situations which was always weird because i was never in like a big <laughs> band but like i know we definitely did a few of those the one i remember specifically was we were playing it was plea for purging's last tour and it might have been plea for purging second to last show ever i know it wasn't their last show because they did that in their hometown and this was in kentucky um and we played that and for whatever reason everyone there because this wasn't in louisville this, i don't even remember where it was maybe owensboro like people thought we were on the tour <laughs> and we were not at all like we were locals that weaseled our way onto it and i remember this kid coming up to us and asking us to sign his shirt which like we had done a few times before not a lot but enough times that like we're used to it like all right we'll just do it and then we're looking at it and it is a shirt signed by like kill switch engage which is like not a band i super care for but a band i respect and like a band that has meant infinitely more than i have to any music scene and <laughs> i was know that. i was like dude 
Killswitch signed this. You like you don't want me to put my name on it. It's gonna ruin the shirt. And he's like, No, bro, please sign it. And I had to sign my name next to fucking like Adam D and all of those. Was it a, was it the shirt he was wearing or he was holding another? I think shirt? it was a different shirt. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. Maybe he just was like trying to cover it in signatures. But that's the one. That's the one autograph I specifically remember that's giving. That's cool. Um, what I was saying, why I ask, is like I feel like in real life situations, it's weird to have people sign things that's if true. you're like prepared. Like at a concert i think cool or like you know a, a conference or something but if you're outside of like a venue hall or a um conference center like don't don't I, ask people to sign things in my entire life i think i've only asked for one autograph and yeah. it's from my best friend johnny munch who plays in the band gray haven because uh um, a girl i was dating just like a weird coincidence a girl i was dating in minneapolis like one of her favorite bands was gray haven and i was like that's a crazy coincidence and so one time when I was in Louisville, I went and found one of Greyhaven's old, old CDs, um, like their original shit, and uh, had Johnny sign it. And that was the girl I was dating at the time. That was her Christmas present to her friend was the signed copy. Um, wow. Though Johnny gave me a bunch of shit because he, like, he was like, you couldn't get the singer, the guitarist to sign it. You literally only got the bassist on it. Like, she's going <laughs> to care. And I was like, well, I, you know, some self-awareness. I'm not seeing Brent this week. Circle so. your name on the back and point to it and be like, that's me. <laughs> no, they didn't think of me in that one. <laughs> I was so mad, dude. I was so pissed. They did not think me in the liner notes of that one. I don't know if they ever thanked me, which makes them the op target. Talk about, yeah, talk about musicians that are canceled. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, it's Gray fucking Haven. out for you, Greyhaven. You didn't think gonna be me. black heaven by the time I'm done with you because you're gonna be dead. Hey, here's the underground. Thing. Here's the thing. They're they're on tour right now. I yeah. wish I was seeing them. Best band of all time, Greyhaven. Shouts out to the boys. Not Greyhaven UK though. Don't listen to that band. Greyhaven. Just Greyhaven. Is it with the E or the A? Who's good? Who's bad? Oh, I think no. They're both spelled the same, but Greyhaven UK put UK in their name to differentiate them. Oh, so that's fucked look- up. They could have just done the. Because, you know, over here in, in good old North America, I believe we spell our greys with an A, usually. Well, well it's, a, it's a Lord of the Rings reference, so it's just spelled however it is in the books. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll allow but, it. Yeah. Shouts out to Greyhaven. So, while you were in Japan as well, uh-huh. um, do, do you peruse any film uh, selections? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to uh, a few different places. Um, went to check out Nakano. Broadway, one of the uh, Mandarake stores in there. has a pretty cool movie selection. I went to, uh, oh, what's it called? Sutaya, which is in Shibuya, but the uh, it's in like Shibuya Scramble. It's the bookstore mm. that's there. Yeah. Um, but the crazy thing, I don't know when they started doing this, because I think when I went originally, this wasn't there. So I think this only happened in the last couple of years. They do movie rentals. Which is crazy. Mm. Imagine going to like a Best Buy in Times Square and they do movie rentals there. That's effectively <laughs> what it, this is. But they have an absurd VHS collection for rent. And so I was like looking through that. Wow. So obviously I can't rent it, but they have like crazy shit. Like um, Red Room 1 was there, which is a, a, a movie that's very hard to find in America. I assume hard to find in Japan, much less on VHS. I have Red Room 2. I wish I had one. They had that on VHS. They had Rubber's Lover on VHS. They had yeah. so many like cool like American cult horror films or just like blockbuster shit all on VHS. They had some porn, which was you know pretty cool. VHS um, quality porn. If That's what I'm talking been, about. Here's the thing: people don't talk about 
when you go to Japan as a tourist right. that you're not prepared for is the amount of porn you just see. <laughs> I remember, like, yeah, going to a store, like a um, one of those big bookstores in, in yeah. Shibuya, and then there's like a whole floor that you just like pluck anything because the way that they organize stuff there is always really fascinating too the yeah. the, the books are longer and skinnier over there mm-hmm. in japan because of the way the font is displayed and so like almost everything looks this they talk about don't judge a book by a cup co- by its cover but like everything looks pretty much exactly the same from yeah. the exterior if you're uh an englishman walking around a japanese bookstore so you pluck something off the shelves you open it up um and sometimes it's just like full page manga spreads of yeah well full page manga spreads if you know what it, i mean yeah people do not talk about the amount of just random unexpected porn you see in japan <laughs> it is absurd uh i still am not used to it uh but i did go i went on an odyssey to find a movie i had to like take a train like an hour outside of tokyo wow. to find um a dvd it's the only movie i bought um uh called yumika which is a documentary this is the, one of the only movies i have to talk about this week um, if we want to just jump right into that. Yes, please. So this is uh, by Katsuyuki Hirano. He, I, I don't know if I pronounced that right. But he is typically an AV director, which is adult video. Um, it's porn. Well, and not specifically porn. AV can be softcore or hardcore. It kind of encompasses a lot. Um, but that's what he's most known for. And uh, it stars Yumika Hayashi, which who was... Uh, as far as I understand, she was like an AV star on the level of like, I guess you would say maybe like Jenna Jameson here, where she's just a mainstream celebrity on top of being like an adult actress. Um, do you know what I'm saying? I do. So she, uh, she actually, AJ, is the woman who eats herself in Splattered Naked Blood. That's right. Uh, that's Yumika Hayashi. Um, so on top of his Hirano's like typical fare, he has done several mainstream films, uh, including a trilogy of bicycle documentaries. And this is the first one. Um, there's there's uh, a, a few more. I'm not really interested in the second one. It kind of just seems like a rehash of this with a different actress. The third one, though, is like award-winning, where he went out by himself hmm. and rode through like an insane northern Japan snowstorm and like almost lost his mind literally like is filming himself like kind of losing it and apparently now, it's incredible what constitutes a bicycle documentary for the less informed uh, of us at home here uh this dude is like all right i'm in tokyo i'm gonna ride to the northernmost part of japan on a bike with some help with some boats but Yumika, okay, so th- d- buckle up aj this movie I'm is fucking nuts <laughs> so he's going with yumika hayashi Hirano is a married man. This is crucial to know. You see okay. his wife. You see his wife in the film. Context established. He's having, as it's said in the film, an affair with oh. Yumika that his wife has completely signed off on. Which, like, nowadays we would not call that an affair. This is from, uh, I think, 96, 97. We would call it, like, polyamory or, you know, non An open relationship cuckolding perhaps <laughs> i don't know the specifics of that part of that relationship don't want to yuck anyone's yum uh but it is clear watching this documentary which is over two hours long of them starting in tokyo going all the way to like literally the northernmost point that he is he is in love with yumika hayashi not his wife <laughs> to be clear 
He's in love with her in a way no one has ever loved anyone else. The kids these days would call it being down bad. It's, I mean, so I watched this with Jason, and we were like, this dude is, like, get a divorce, bro. <laughs> like, and it seems like she loves him back. Like, and it, so to get all the nasty bits out of it, like, get, you watch them have a lot of sex. Oh. That's that's just part of the movie. It's a lot of them just having sex. E, actually, what shocked me, and you know, it, it, there were no subtitles, so most of what was said was completely lost on me. I'm just having to go off the visuals. And watching it, I will say it was one of the like more beautiful movies I've ever seen. Not just in terms of its aesthetic, which it does have a really great like shot on uh, VHS, probably '90s aesthetic yeah. to it, but just like. These two are so fucking stupid for each other. <laughs> and, like, you're stuck with them for, like, over two hours watching them, like, get in little squabbles. Like, Yumika cries a lot for reasons I'm not sure about. I hope it's nothing problematic, but she cries a lot. But they also laugh a lot. They are just, like, so stoked to be hanging out with each other for, like, I think it's, like, six weeks they're doing this wow. bike trip. And, like, you're just there. And I'm not kidding. By the end, like, you're in love with them. <laughs> like, you're in love with Yumika. You are in love with him. You just want them to be together. You are trying to forget the part where he has a wife. And <laughs> she is back home in I mean, Tokyo. I mean, that that kind of, I think that, uh, you know, from the way you're describing it, makes it sound a little bit more interesting to me. That's, that's oftentimes the way to really elevate a documentary is where yeah. it is ostensibly you know about something and there's a premise and a plot in this case we're biking across the continent of japan that sounds interesting that's cool but you know the the sort of the layer beneath of of this man's dude troubled marriage falling apart and these (laughs) two people maybe coming to realize that their relationship is is of a different shape than they expected it i think um you know the art of documentary filmmaking in many ways is a lost or perverted art now i think a lot of people I don't mean perverted in well, that sense. Well, that's a perverted documentary. That, this dude, one sounds like a, I know what I know what she eats uh, in this one. Um, I was going like, to get to that. I was going to get to that in a moment. P- people, people these days often think like, oh, you know, we'll just point a camera at a thing for 20 hours or something and, and interesting things will happen, of course. And it's like, no, you know, sometimes exposing the things that you weren't setting out to find is really what makes uh, a documentary so compelling and interesting. Um, so this sounds really intriguing it's it dude it's awesome i don't know how to help people find it i assume it's online somewhere i can yeah. say jason and i were the fourth and fifth ever reviews of this on letterbox which that's crazy <laughs> i literally could not find it online i went to japan and then had to get on a train for an hour <laughs> just to find a single copy of it wow. i can't help anyone that wants to see it uh you're on your own um I will say, if it's notorious for anything from the five people who have seen it, it is the scene of Yubika eating her own shit. It happens right near the end of the film. It's just a thing. No, she, no. She takes it like a champ. She seems to think it's funny, while also gross. She shits in some instant ramen and just eats it. There you go. Just uh, for fun. Yeah, basically. Like, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be crazy if on camera I ate my own poop? It's basically what it seems like, yeah. Wow, because I mean, I, this is you know, this is what you've told me about this film, and and this is what I've thought. Uh, I assumed it was like they're they're stranded out there no, or something like that, and no. and it's like the wow. end of the trip. I will just say, being a little goofy. I will say so. All the sex scenes in here, which are all very real, they're pixelated, but like 
showing basically everything. It's kind of wild watching because it's like, it's like despite the fact he does AV, like he directs AV and she is an AV star, they're not having like porn sex, if that makes sense. I mean, real actual human sex. Like, and in that way, the sex scenes are like really interesting because it's like you don't really often see that on screen, right? Like, do they have a, a cinematographer with them? No, like, so no, is it three? It's, so it's, it's, so it's, it's two people. Yeah. Them two. Like, yeah. And there's at the very end, they're on the northernmost island of Japan and they have sex. And it's like maybe one of the <laughs> most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. They're like wow. on these rocks right near the ocean. The waves are crashing up and he's just going to work. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like having a heat stroke watching this thing. I'm like, this is the most beautiful shit I've ever seen in my life. AJ, I cannot stop thinking about this movie. I have to show it to you. It's yeah. fucking crazy. I can't wait to watch the one DVD copy of it that exists out there. <laughs> okay, so this is how I figured out about this movie. It's, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So this, I think it was this movie, Yumika, uh, Hideki Anno saw. So there's like two versions of this film. There's basically the porn version and the mainstream version. And, <laughs> the, 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 yeah. uh, fucking like cutscenes removed yeah. game movie on YouTube. Yeah. Just like just the porn scenes. That rocks. Exactly. So I the love, one I watched the is Japanese. the mainstream version, which I assume is what Anno saw. But I don't know. Maybe not. And he was really taken by it. Um, so Yumika Hayashi, about 10 years later, um, she passed away, uh, unexpectedly on her 35th birthday, um, got too drunk and choked on her vomit in her sleep. Uh, very unexpected. There are very split ideas or thoughts on the movie that came out of that, which Hirano also directed called Director Disqualified, where he basically filmed the entire thing, um, from him discovering the body, which he found, I believe, with uh, Yubika's mother and um, a friend when she had not showed up to work or something, you know, that kind of like typical tale. Um, he basically filmed the entire process of him grieving, the funeral, etc. I see a lot of people call that exploitative. Um, a lot of people think it's kind of a beautiful, like, putting to... T- putting to film what Yumika meant to him and the grieving process of losing people. I don't know. I haven't seen it. It was at the store. I didn't buy it because I didn't want to spend all that extra money. But Anna was the producer of that film. So that's how I found this movie in the first place was uh, being watching some of Anno's more li- live action stuff, seeing her Anno pop up in the making of Love and Pop behind the scenes stuff. Hmm. Um, I believe when he went on the second bike ride, he pops up and like Anna's hanging out with him right before he leaves. Um, that's how I discovered it. But yeah, I see I have his list as a producer on this. Yeah, I have not seen Director Disqualified. I will say, um, two days ago, or maybe three days ago, depending on the time zone difference, was the anniversary of uh, Yumika passing away. So, wow. Rest in power to the queen. She's, I mean, you see, you've seen her in freaking uh, Splattered Naked Blood, which I know is a very As gluttonous goofy, woman. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, that's the most show-stopping scene. Like, she just... She's crazy on camera. Pretty crazy. Yeah. You're stuck with her for two hours and 15 minutes, and you walk away like, I love her. <laughs> I'm obsessed with her. I think she's the fucking coolest woman of all time. Like, shout That's out crazy. to Yumika. Anyway. We love I've, her. I've monopolized so much of this show. Take over. Hey, that's what we came here to do. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, gosh. What else we want to talk about? Um, I've seen sh- other sh- movies. Yeah, tell me about those. 
Well, I saw I saw uh, the Doom Generation by Greg yes. Rocky um, playing at the Trilon. Shouts out to the Trilon. Their Parker Posey retrospective, which <laughs> Doom Generation really seemed like a stretch. Parker Posey's in it, but I'd say it's a uh, forty-five seconds at most. Hey, it's well, probably like three minutes. But speaking of retrospective series stretching to cover films that actresses were in, <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll get you, there. You haven't seen this, right? No, I, we were talking about this a little bit uh, the other night playing Fortnite. It's been on my, my watch list yeah. for a while. I know that it's a, a heavily cited film right now uh, during Pride Month. Yeah. And I've never I've never seen any of his works and want to dive into them. I don't feel super equipped to talk about it as a straight man. You know, like Yeah. But I will say it was it was an incredible movie. I loved it. It's 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 rotten, man. It is just like obsessed <laughs> with um, I don't know. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to speak out of character, but like, it's, it's definitely kind of centered on nihilism and, um, just, you know, it, it came out in the, I think mid, mid to late nineties and just yeah. where so- society was in terms of its thoughts Great place. or thoughts, acceptance, or definitely lack thereof, um, queer identities, you know, queer love. Um, it does not have a happy ending by any means, which I think, you know, probably speaks to where Iraqi's mind was at that time in terms of like where the broader American, you know, psyche was in terms of like what they think of gay people and gay love. Mm. Um, but this movie's fucking awesome, dude. Uh, Rose McGowan, one of the best to ever do it. She's one of the stars of this. Uh, the other dude is like a star of Independence Day. I don't know. Uh, Rose McGowan and Parker Posey are like the two standouts, but man, it's a cool movie. I can't recommend it enough, and it seems to be getting a big re-release right now, which I'm sure is why Trilon selected it for this because it's yeah. I mean, I know easy. that um, I know that his movies have been inaccessible for a while, and that uh, there was a, a recent restoration of this one that was yeah. that was really significant. But the Criterion channel also has, I think, three of his films right now um, on there. So I've been meaning to do, like, the dive. He, I clicked on his letterbox and he directed uh, episodes of the fucking Dahmer uh, Netflix yeah. series yeah, yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. Well, you know, get your bag. Good for him. <laughs> Can't win them all. Can't win them all. I think that might be all I've watched. Let me check. According to your letterbox, that is. You well, watch, yeah. I, I watched my beloved AV gal Yumika Hayashi, which is a uh, like porno. No, uh, actually, no, not at all. Well, it's like <laughs> a 26-minute short that Hirano did. Just that came on the DVD, and Jason and okay. watched it. Y- Yumika was had hard drip in that, and that's not a euphemism. Yeah, no, she's she fitted was dressed to the, to the yeah. nines. <laughs> that thing. She had, like, I think it was like a, a like one of those like I don't know what you call them like a jumpsuits, you know, like the Nike jumpsuits or whatever. She had one of those on. She a tracksuit. Yeah, a tracksuit. Like a soprano. And she just had like the hardest fucking, cr- you know, the crouch stance. You yeah, know, like, the slop was, squat. Dude, she was just doing that in front of the camera, and Hirano just like had was filming her for what felt like an hour, and I was like, this is the hardest anyone's ever looked ever. That's pretty cool. Anyway, that's all I've watched. Right on, right on. Gosh, I'm trying to think, like, I don't even know how far back to go here. I'm just scrolling through the old letterboxed here. Uh, 
I mean, significant films that I've watched recently. Right. I'm really loved. Up, I'm pulling up your letterbox to see if I have any questions about them. Yeah. Why don't you Why don't you just quiz me? Okay. <laughs> I, I've I've been doing a lot of catch up uh, for recent movies. Okay. Not too long ago. Uh, it's a it's you know summer, uh, big big stuff coming out. I just mm. rewatched all of the Indiana Jones films. Um, those are yeah. pretty fun. I just want to get it on the record here on the podcast that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, you know, it's often been said that that Reddit and and YouTube film criticism is one of the worst things to ever happen to society. Uh, it's often said by me, uh, mm-hmm. and I just want to double down on that because this movie gets such a bad rap. It's cool. It's good. Uh, you watch Small Soldiers? <laughs> uh, no, I haven't watched that recently. Someone someone logged it on Letterboxd, and I realized that I had not locked it. But I was like, uh, I love that movie, dude. Um, I was at Jason's they're... house last night when we were talking about that movie. Yeah, good fucking flick. Uh, Blackberry. Yeah, dude, that rocked. It was good. I, really I did a I did a capitalism double feature one night. I watched Air and Blackberry <laughs> back to back. Two movies that I was like, I don't know what I'm going to think of these. And they both kind of rocked. Um, Blackberry is definitely the more like artful, experimental version yeah. of it. I think from a storytelling perspective, isn't as strong as the other one just because it's very manipulative uh air is but it works it's manipulative but it gets you but blackberry has really great performances by all of the cast and is it a very interesting snapshot of that whole time period where we were discovering the technology that would ruin us in the form of cell phones and like not to sort of spoil the ending of that movie but you can spoil history it really happened (laughs) uh it's a good sequence where like they're watching the they're watching the ghost of steve jobs unveil the iphone for the first time and they're all like oh well that's like stupid right no one will care about that (laughs) the ghost of steve jobs good bit well they they show you know actual footage of of steve jobs but of course he's passed on but at the the time of the that the video was taken he was alive so that's in many ways a ghost what was his thing? He didn't like going to the doctor. He's like, I can just eat vegetables. He got fine. he got cancer, and someone gave him bad advice that was like, you just drink juice and you'll be good. As someone who's had cancer twice, yes. <laughs> Did you drink but, any juice? I mean, I'm sure, but like, I also got chemo. Yeah. So point for Blake, zero for Steve. Still Jones. here, yeah. yeah. Inventor um, of the iPhone, zero. Okay. Uh, long weekend. Yeah, okay, so this is an Ozploitation film okay. that I've been meaning to see for a while. Um, directed by, let's see here, Colin Eggleston, right. one of the coolest names of all time. Right. Um, but what I knew about this movie is it had really great nature photography um, mm-hmm. and is is kind of about, much like uh, the film you were describing earlier, uh, a, a couple going through some marital strife and to kind of make peace with it they go on a long weekend which is what europeans and australians i suppose call vacation um (laughs) but they go down to the beach in in an rv and uh basically what happens is they just continue to take their aggression out on each other and then that manifests in the form of violence against animals uh they run over some creatures in the woods they steal some eggs they beat a manatee to death on the beach um and so, I mean, one of the hardest posters of all time, it says their crime was against nature. Nature found them guilty. Uh, so it's basically about two awful people um, kind of being awful and then 
nature getting revenge on them through uh, various creatures of the Australian outback. I will say, if you don't like, you know, animal violence, stay away from this thing because even I was pretty upset with some of the stuff that happened in there. Is it real? I, I think some of the... I was reading that maybe not this film, but other films that he was involved with uh, involved like killing real kangaroos. There's no kangaroos oh. in this one, but there's a gnarly sequence on the beach. Yeah. With a, yeah. I, I think they call it a dugong, but the dugong washes up on the beach. Uh, and then That's they think Pokemon. it's, well, the Pokemon is D E W G O N G and the real uh, creature is D U G O N G. This is a generation one Pokemon. And in the first one fifty one, they weren't, too worried about what the names were that's where you have muck uh and voltorb and see well yeah dugong actually you find this funny dugong you know a creature with a funny name that exists in our real world it evolves from a pokemon called seal s-e-e-l which is just a seal uh, uh there's a dugong right. joke dugong Dugong? Dugong. Well, also, you know, Dugong related to the manatee, which uh, Watchers of Mansers will know is the creature with the most human-like vagina. Watchers of Mansers? Yeah, like myself. Man's Watchers of Mansers. I just remember that classic episode of Mansers where they <laughs> try to figure out... Mansers in so long, dude. What yeah, the dude, fuck? they had an episode where they were like, if I wanted to fuck an animal, um, which would have the most kind of human-like genitals oh my god and i forget how they got there but they found the dugong spike uh, tv was so out of control it's crazy that they just beamed that into every house in america for a while rhymes against man but they're worried about what kids can find on tiktok now but we had spike tv i think they're gonna be okay oh my god dude yeah wow. um long weekend was a little disappointing to okay. me not a ton of meat on the bone there, but it has really great production quality. Um, right. It sounds wonderful. You get all these cool creatures, great music, and like really just like ominous nature sounds. So certainly worth a watch, but like not you know not a sure. not a total winner. IMO. Uh, okay. Here's the one. Hit me. Splatter, naked blood baby. that's right i mean i did record an entire uh kind of commentary watch along track on that thing but and god I listened just to it in the car yeah you listen i was like that's crazy um what a fucking flick man that thing it's rocked it's i amazing. mean like i with a with a title like splatter naked blood i really thought it would be you know like kind of gore fest for perverts mm-hmm. but uh, you know i didn't expect the kind of like cyberpunk aesthetic to the whole thing it really had a like um you know, I think I probably invoked it on the on the pod a lot, but like had the same sort of like ethereal sense of uh, man merging with machine that you get from something like Akira or even yep. like Tetsuo the Iron Man a little bit. I mean, the ending is so cool um, mm-hmm. with her riding off into the sunset, but I loved those sequences of like the just the way that that uh, sort of cybernetic cactus was never explained and. <laughs> yeah. The like early VR headsets transporting you to the sex dimension with the the cactus, all that stuff was just so cool. And yeah, much like you know, I'm thinking of Akira because I'm looking at your box set uh, actually behind you right now. But um, the way that like those, uh, she's got the kind of powers that are never really explained, but yeah. are like clearly meant to represent you know the next evolution in humanity or whatever. 
Just love that stuff. I ate it up. We are gonna have to revisit Sato on this show. Yeah. There's so many of his movies I want to watch, um, including Muscle, I'm really interested in. Uh, you want to see some Muscle? That's right. right. There. <laughs> uh, I, uh, AJ. I think I was texting you about this the other day. Um, I, I I didn't... Uh, all right. Listeners are region free. We're amongst friends. <laughs> the safe space. The, my favorite movie I watched last year was one of Sato's, but I didn't post about it because the name is so unbelievably reprehensible. Uh, but we are going to have to watch and figure out is how to it the, uh this. Does it share the name with the novel of a uh, Anton Chekhov novel? It's called Lolita Vibrator Torture. It's Vladimir Nabokov also. And by God, I mean, it's a name that sums up the film. But You just look at that letterbox poster. I mean, dude, dude it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like when you watch Splatter Naked Blood, and you're like, okay, what freaky shit is this? And you walk out of it being like, changed. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> Every every time I go to the Video Vortex at my local Alamo, where I rent my perverted mm-hmm. DVDs, mostly for this podcast, I go to Japanese horror slash exploitation. I mm-hmm. scroll all the way to the L section. I look for this bad boy. I'm seeing also that it it's sometimes called the Secret Garden. Yeah, so, so maybe I'll check for that next time. Yeah, so apparently Sato has his own names for the films. I'm not sure I entirely understand this. The DVD I have of it which is from the Nikatsu Roman collection yeah. that I think Synapse did, is called LVT, if you <laughs> know what I'm saying. But like, I let friend of the show, Jason Daphnis, borrow this movie, and he's like, bro, what are you giving me? And he watched it. You and he let turned... him borrow it, as in didn't hand him and be like, you'll watch this shit. Come on. <laughs> well, I was like, you got to watch this thing. And he's like, what kind of fucking creep shit are you giving me now? And he watched it, and you can check the tapes. He also was dumbfounded by it. He dug it, yeah. I mean, so, I'm... I'm excited to watch this thing eventually. If you can't find it, AJ, maybe in a few months. Yeah. You'll be able to just sit on your couch and watch <laughs> it. <laughs> like I, I'm imagining I'm imagining a world where uh like, you know, you have a roommate or something and then they get home from a long day at work or a walk in the park or something and you're just sitting on the couch blasting porno on the TV and like, sit down, dude, this movie's crazy. Yeah, look, dude. That'd be a crazy situation. Yeah, you know, uh how undateable do you think two single men <laughs> that both each own Irreversible are? Yeah, with a crazy Blu-ray collection. Uh, two you, copies of Love Exposure on that bad boy. Can you imagine inviting a, a prospective, beautiful, young, smart woman home and her being yeah. like, you got two copies of Irreversible, Irreversible? on the shelf? Uh, <laughs> look, I won't lie to you. This is a thought experiment that has crossed my mind more than once. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to act like I have not been like, oh, my new partner is not, I don't have a partner currently. But like when dating someone new, being like, oh, they're going to come to my apartment for the first time, be like, what movies do I hide? Yeah. And there's Solo. only like, there's only like really one I do. And then I'll sneakily put it back on the shelf after a <laughs> But there is like, one oh, I put it's so, something Something missing here. There's like a, a weird gap in the, of yeah. the discog. There's, there, there's one, but now maybe two I'll have to put up because I... <laughs> When I got LVT. You don't want him asking questions about uh, the bicycle movie? No, no, that one's fine. I just, okay. when I got LVT, I had been in a relationship for a long time. She mm. knew what to expect. But any new people, I might have to put two movies up. So. That's the secret garden, babe. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it, it, don't worry. It's called something else. I know it's yeah. just got <laughs> the, the, the other name plastered everywhere on it. 
Um, Spired Naked Blood, the best. Yumika Hayashi, rest in power, dude. Great flick. Another one that I watched recently that I, I just watched. Have you seen Bloodsport? No, I'm pulling the, it up on your list here. The first film uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme was ever in. Oh, interesting. Okay. And is also stars. sort of loosely the inspiration for Mortal Kombat. Uh, oh, it's basically right, right, just right. about a, an underground fighting ring uh, that that's in, I believe it's China. Um, mm-hmm. And like Forrest Whitaker plays a cop in this movie. He just kind of shows up like a young Forrest Whitaker was cool. Like yeah. uh, uh, the thing that I knew about this movie, I had never seen it besides the Mortal Kombat tidbit um, mm-hmm. was that it's Donald Trump's favorite movie. But he he fast forwards through all the part where the parts where no one's fighting and just watches the fight scenes. That's and here's like the thing: me, what, okay, honestly, that's like me when I watch John Wick. I'm like, why is yeah. there a fucking script in this movie? Um, the fights are great. I'll give Donnie that. But like the rest of the the rest of the drama on the outside, I saw I I, I saw this bad boy in a theater, uh, beautiful 35 millimeter print, and the modern crowd was really. Uh, reacting to it like it was a screening of the room where there's a scene where like uh, uh, Van Damme goes home with a woman. Uh, they wake up in the and next morning. And, All right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he's not in the bed and she's like, oh no, he he's left me. But he's just uh, uh, standing in the living room doing nude yoga as the sun God, pours in. <laughs> and rules. he's just, he's cheeked up. Uh, it's God, probably not yoga. Rules. It's probably Tai Chi or whatever. But uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, a classic. I mean, it's not very good, but it's absolutely a must watch, a must see. A couple more I gotta ask about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell me if I'm being ridiculous. Never. <laughs> yeah, you don't think I'm ever Oh, been? hold on. Pause before okay. we get into this. Because this podcast, like, originally sort of started as a, about our Blu rays and things that are in, coll- in, are in our collections, I want to throw up a red alert. The best looking Blu-ray I have ever purchased in my life. The 4K Ultra oh. HD Avatar The Way of Water. Oh, now you I think you think you say showgirls. Oh, oh I haven't plugged that bad boy in yet. I mean like the quality of the disc watching a movie on my TV. Yeah. It's like you know, I you don't often be like what are my eyes seeing right now? I cannot conceive that this is real. <laughs> Fucking plugging in Avatar The Way of Water on my TV at home. I was like, this is, you know, they, they often say you can't watch those movies outside of the theaters. He's done it. James has done it. He's figured out. I think the, uh, I think the, the Blu-ray disc itself is 140 gigabytes. <laughs> That's a call yeah. of duty. I know. Uh, it's beautiful. Beautiful film. Uh, yeah, I also got an order recently from Vinegar Syndrome with their 4K release of Showgirls and irreversible and as covered on the pod motherfucking trouble every day one of the best movies ever made that's right i don't i haven't bought any movies recently well i bought yumika but like i'm not a freak like it actually you know what we should talk about the box that i bought as we talk about the last season because i want to plug what radiance just yes coming out um yes okay so tell me if i'm ridiculous because this is gonna segue into the next movie i want to ask you about Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. Every time I watch a Wes Anderson movie, I'm like, you know what? I fucking, I fucking love this dude's movies. I think I liked French Dispatch more than most people. Like, more I was, than me. I was Gaga for that film. I thought it was so good. 
And then every time Wes Anderson announces a new movie, Molly's like, man, <laughs> what is this Wes bullshit? Anderson. Yeah. I'm this little twee-ass, little, little fucking Charlie and the Chocolate Factory-looking grown-up-ass version of Charlie from... You get what I'm trying to say here? Yes. What's he doing? Why fuck Wes Anderson? Why? Is that ridiculous? That every... The idea... Like, I like him in practice, but the idea of Wes Anderson just gets under my skin so badly. I don't think you're being ridiculous. I think the, the problem is that... The way people talk about Wes Anderson and yeah. the figure that he's become in film culture is just... Well, the main thing is it's wrong. A lot of people mm-hmm. convey his aesthetics and his stylings in just the, the worst possible way. There's like you right. know, the fucking TikTok AI trends right now where people are like, mm-hmm. oh, it's super easy to just replicate Wes Anderson style with pastel colors and symmetrical shots and whimsical and music. Is. And a computer could do this. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. On a surface level, perhaps. Um, but his films are very thorny, and uh-huh. most of them are more complicated than people give them credit for. Uh, he he was definitely an early kind of like, and I'm sure a lot of uh, fucking people with letterbox accounts have had this phase of their life, but where like you watch his movies and you're like, oh, that's like my favorite director because yeah. all of his movies feel like distinctly directed and whatnot so i definitely went through that phase he's certainly one of my favorite filmmakers of all time right now but he was on so going in going into asteroid city Mm -hmm. um he was he was coming off of a two he was gone two strikes for me isle of dogs the worst movie he's ever made um the french dispatch more like the french disappointment to me the Um, only part of that movie that sucked predictable timothy chalamet was timothy chalamet's vignette it was yes. not good it was very boring i like Benicio del toro Peter. having fun uh and the third sequence with jeffrey wright is mm-hmm. the strongest part of that movie but yep. what i really didn't like about the french dispatch was it's just total shotgun blast nature of shifting the aesthetics and the um Oh my god! I, I almost said frame rates. Uh, the aspect ratios and scenes would just switch from black and white, and the cameras that he was shot on, like so, uh, kind of rapidly and randomly. And I understand that what he was doing was trying to like create a version of the New Yorker, essentially, but like magazines and newspapers and things right. that he read as a kid, and get that sense of like, here's a little cartoon section, and here are the photographs and these stories. They jump around, and it's all about different characters' perspectives. Like that, appreciate it. I just don't like watching the movie because it's okay. distracting to me. Um, here's what I will say though. So going into Asteroid City, I'm like, if this is a if this is another whiff, I'm I'm out on Wes Anderson. I'm done. I'm right. disinvesting. Right. Uh, it's one of his best movies. One of the best okay. movies he's ever okay. made. Yeah. Okay. Um, Let's go. Tell me it's... about it. Because I really don't know anything about it because I have this dumb part of my brain that disengages when he announces yeah. a new movie until I'm forced to watch it by someone. Well, so the, tra- the trailers will sell you a very different movie than the movie that Asteroid City actually is. Okay. Um, he does exactly what he does in the French Dispatch again. But the thing that I like about this one is that the the framing structure and the narrative of it all kind of makes sense and cascades very well together. Mm-hmm. In the Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, there are like those three... It's a, it's a movie that takes place over three separate time kind of periods. And mm-hmm. when he shifts between them, he lets you know by doing one shot in 4-3, one shot in 16-9, and the other one um, is kind of like default, I think. Uh and when you when the when the aspect ratio changes, you know that you're in a different time period. And he does that kind of again in this movie. It is about so 
you sit down to watch Asteroid City, you're like, I saw the trailer, looks like a cute little fun Wes Anderson Western set in a pastel 50s town in the desert or whatever. Opens up, black and white screen, it's Brian Cranston in a TV station being like, okay, you're about to watch a, an episode or like a news broadcast about a famous playwright who wrote a play uh, that we made up for this broadcast because we couldn't get the rights to his real play. So we made up a fake play called Asteroid City. This is about the guy who wrote that play, who was a real guy, and all of the actors who were in that play okay. are also the actors who appear in the play version of the movie. So everything that's in color is the fictional play, Asteroid City. Uh-huh. And then there's a layer on top that is the dramatization of the guy who wrote it and his relationship to all of the actors who are in the play who are playing the characters that you see in the color segments so very bullshitty setup but it really works here for me and then the movie ends up becoming a more about like what's the intention behind writing a thing and how do you embody a character and and using art to process grief and all that sort of stuff and then there's also the really fun western bits with a cartoon alien played by jeff goldblum uh it rocks it's very good it's hysterical very funny and like uh incredible third act is is all i'll say the way all of that stuff comes together you're kind of watching it being like i do not really understand what he's saying and what's going on here and there's a moment where the film very explicitly crystallizes that and uh it's beautiful it's maybe the best scene wes anderson has ever done okay yeah i need to get to a theater to see it but you know it's standing in its way the final movie i gotta ask about what's standing in its way i can't if i'm going to a theater oh yeah i'm not seeing anything other than spider-man across the spider-verse the best film of all time according to letterboxd now here's the thing not into the mcu i've seen the avengers and i've seen ant Ant man quantumania those are the only two mcu movies i've seen not for me but i fucking love that first spidey man the animated one into the spider-verse so tell me about across now because i gotta see this shit on in imax yeah it's really good it's it's a delight to watch uh, and you got to see it in a theater. You got to let it envelop and immerse you. I am on the outside of most people as I found myself kind of let down by right. the story overall and especially uh, the way it ends, which is just literally a to be continued on the screen <laughs> and then an advertisement for the next movie coming out in a year from now. So, uh, but I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's funny. It's gorgeous. I think the first spider-verse is a perfect movie uh one of the best the greats the goats and so i just think like okay and here's the here's the t on the dl okay okay give me the the, t on the dl the like hype and popularity for that first spider-verse was a little bit more muted than this one had been i don't mm. think a lot of people saw that movie in the theater when it came out and caught up with it yeah because you're a real one yeah. um and so I think, and also maybe they were just like uh, children when the first one came out. Because that movie came out like five years ago. And so I think the right. reaction to this one being so hyperbolic is just the nature of experiencing that yeah. for the first time or whatever. But uh, anyone who tells you that the second one's better than the first one, I think is cuckoo bananas. But the second one's great. So now, not a big deal. Now, we don't need to spend too much time on this. But it That's is right. something I've been thinking about for the upcoming Something Rotten season, which I don't think 
we'll have some weird parallels, but I can't. I don't think I can say what our season is. The punk character. Yeah. Oh, he's something cool. that makes me instantly not into something is corporate punk. Yes. Say it similar as corporate metal. Uh, the, the distillation of an entire corporate punk 2077. Yeah. The, right. The entire distillation of a movement that I think largely didn't actually mean anything, but we've just projected meaning onto, uh, broken down to weird neon colors and plaid. Yeah. I know there's a punk character in this. Is it committing that sin? Uh, so he's, he's more of a joke. The aesthetics of him, you know, kind of what I mean. They do get like, you know, his, the sourcing of him, right? Where, and this is from the comics and stuff too, but he is like, you know, has the aesthetic of a British teen from the seventies. So speaks with a very Cockney accent. And the thing that they do with his, uh, visual aesthetic is that he's just constantly changing color. Like not between scenes. Like anytime Mm -hmm. he's on screen, he is like it's like a fucking RGB board or something cycling between different cool. colors. Yeah. So, and then, you know, the joke with him is like, oh, he's punk. So he doesn't commit to anything and is always changing it. He's very funny. He's maybe okay. the funniest character in the movie. Uh, him and, and the Indian Spider-Man okay. uh, where they go to Indian Spider-Man realm is very funny. But you know what I'm saying about that punk thing? It's like, I'm not yes. saying this movie commits that crime because I haven't seen it. I mean, it's not it's like it's, it's, it's not like a Stranger Things thing where yeah, they're like, yeah. okay, they're wearing Converse and, and black jeans yeah, and they yeah. listen to Metallica. They're yeah. metal. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm hyped to see it. I can't wait. I need to get my ass over to the damn IMAX and watch it. Get there's your IMAX, butt to the theater. There's, there's an IMAX like literally a mile from me and I have yet to go. That's crazy. Walk there. I could ride my new bike there. Let's go. Um, anyway... Speaking of things we're hyped to watch. Oh, my Lord, brother. I don't even know how I'm going to watch one of these. <laughs> actually, I've seen it. I know. Well, I don't have the fucking Alamo that you got. Well, you've got exactly a month. That episode's coming out in a month from the okay. day we're recording this. Here's the thing, folks. Yep. When you think of the greatest women actresses of all time, a few Creative names, forces, even. A few names will come to mind. You got your, your, your Hepburns. You got your Monroe's. You got uh, Diane Keaton. <laughs> but who rises above them all? We can all say it together. That's right. A, share, a shared love of ours. Not share, though. Not share. No. S H A R E D love. That's right. Let's all say it together, listeners. Let's all say it together. Three, two, one. Chloe, Chloe Seven Yay. Uh, Seven Yay? That's how I say it. Uh, No one, no one truly knows. Uh, (laughs) We better figure that out. (laughs) We're doing a damn Chloe Seventy season, Uh, because I mean, I feel like. So here's the thing. Okay. We like to we like to kind of plot our our seasons, months. They don't really have a real name, but sort of like you know, we like to put some films together thematically to figure out what we're going to be talking about on the show for the next couple of weeks. there's a handful of films. I mean, all four of the films that we're going to be talking about uh, in the aptly named uh, July 70 miniseries that we've put together are, uh, I mean, one of them is Blake's favorite film of all time. That's right. The other one which, is uh, also one of Blake's favorite films. Yeah, that's of all time. Of all time. <laughs> um, one is a film that, again, recently got restored by the Criterion uh, channel and has been hard to find for a while that we've never seen so that'll be a fun first time reaction mm-hmm. and then one uh, is one of the most infamous films of all time so you know we're running the damn gamut here we are yeah. starting AJ correct me if I'm wrong we're starting with 
my favorite movie of that's all right. time. That's right. Hopefully, does hopefully it doesn't say much about me. Uh, <laughs> Larry Clark and Harmony Kareens. Adults. Kids. Oh yeah, kids. Sorry. We're gonna watch kids. Uh, I. It will probably be a nine-hour podcast. I mean, in many ways, one of the reasons that this show exists is for us to do a kids episode. I actually don't think I've ever talked talked about it. About I know, my yeah. Love of kids outside of few tweets. Um, well, you, you got to watch how you phrase that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <And> then, <laughs> uh, let's circle back to kids in a second because I want to yes. point people towards something. They're following that up with uh, what is up there with like Ichi. An old boy is one oh, of the most yeah. important movies of, in my life. It's actually not kids. It's Gummo. Uh, yeah. Which I have already watched this year. I'm going to watch it another time this year. I watched it with Leo Vader, like, at the beginning of the year. Um, Chloe's a knockout in that. That's Harmony Korine's first directed film. He wrote mm-hmm. Kids. And then after that, we are watching The Goddamn Brown Bunny. No, sorry, you've got the order flipped. Okay, my bad. We're gonna do. I'm. I'm I put them in. I put them in release order just to, so we can kind of do a little um, mini career retrospective. Okay, so we're I going see, from see. kids 1995, Gummo 1997. Uh, we're gonna be talking about 2002's Demon Lover, okay. Olivier Assayas, a filmmaker I love. This film, I don't really know much about it other than everyone who's seen it has kind of been like that is a one fucked up, hateful, rotten ass movie. You know who's in that movie? That we yes. have to call out. Yes. Now Omori, who plays Ichi. Yeah. He's in it. God bless. God bless. I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna have Baba. our little our little duck minds blown by that movie. That's what I will say. Oh, I can't wait because I literally know nothing about it. Yes. Uh, and then uh, rounding out the month of July, we're gonna be talking about 2003's The Brown Bunny, which you've probably seen or heard of or know about at least one scene from the end of that movie. Roger Ebert famously called it the worst movie ever made and then walked that back when he saw a different cut of it. But uh, it is incredibly difficult to find. I watched a DVD copy of it recently, and I will save my thoughts on that movie for that episode. Uh, What's Vincent Gallo, I think, occasionally will sell DVDs of it on his website. mm. So I I don't think that helps anyone. But... (laughs) Because uh, as we might talk about, he might not be someone you want to contribute money to. Uh, yeah. But let's see. Let's see. VincentGallo.com. Um, let's see. Merchandise. Welcome to my webpage. His website is very ugly, as you might imagine. Um, DVDs. Is he selling it? Oh, it's Brown Bunny's all sold out currently. They need um, to make a freaking brown Blu-ray. <laughs> we also got to... We also gotta watch a fucking Buffalo sixty six, man. I'll tell you what. Um, anyway, it's not going to be in time for the episode, unfortunately. At least I don't think. I guess I don't specifically know. But for a long time, despite its popularity, despite mm-hmm. its notoriety, despite its infamousness, Kids has been way out of print. Uh, the when I was first falling in love with it, the way I would watch it was on YouTube which I don't know if it's even that version is up there anymore until I finally stumbled across a secondhand DVD of it and bought that. It must be from like the early 2000s. I will say, and just out of like morbid curiosity, I often look through um, secondhand stores. It was still very rare to ever see another copy. <laughs> like, Kids was not an easy movie to watch if you didn't see it when it would like uh, prints of it would play in theaters, which it yeah. would often do, especially in New York as anniversaries came around. 
Um, I the first time I ever saw it, not on a shitty like digital rip of it, was only last year at a Walker Arts Center mm. in Minneapolis. They had a uh, pretty bad uh film series they were doing that kids was a part of um it was i i walked out of the conversation afterwards because it was so bad uh but it was important because i did get to watch it on i don't know 16 35 doesn't fall the same fucking same to me i know i know it's not the same but that was so i've only seen it in a good format once but against all odds radiance films which i think is fairly new has got the rights and is doing a huge Blu-ray box set restoration of this thing. Yeah. I never thought it would happen. I am shell-shocked. Uh, you can go, you can buy it. Crucially, it comes with uh, the documentary We Were Kids, uh, hold on. which is directed by, oh, or maybe it's We Were The Kids. Yeah, oh, We Were Once Kids which mm. is directed by um, he's Eddie Martin, who's kind of a side character in the film about the uh, not maybe not great production of that film. Which as I've gotten older, I've definitely wrestled with the way that film was made and who Larry Clark might be. And um, we'll get into what happened to some of the kids afterwards. We'll have to talk about Caroline Ross and these great piece. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be the best episode of all time. I can't 18 wait. hours on the way unfortunately won't be able to watch that version of it so it'll be it'll be bittersweet i'll be giving my dvd one last spin around <laughs> and then you beat it to death with a baseball bat no man i that ain't, that ain't going nowhere it might all right still be there uh, and hey that's what we're talking about next week dude, so get excited for that i can't wait oh my god oh my god bye bye bye